All right, friends, we're going to be back in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're progressing through 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, we've been here for a while. Uh, we've been in 2 Corinthians for probably six months. Um, but uh, last week, um, we talked about the, the Jubilee year that is not just 365 days, but it is the year of God's favor that Jesus has established and that we're in the middle of that. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, 6, verse 2, at the end of it, the apostle says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So no matter how difficult things are, no matter how bleak they may seem, even when we're in the midst of the pandemic and all those things, we realize that we're at a time where God has chosen to pour out his grace. And uh, so we want to we want to rest in that. Okay. So now I'm going to move on uh, to verse three, and um, I'm going to read verses three through 10, and we should get through all of that tonight. The Apostle Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine and yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything." So there we have this contrast of the way the world was treating the apostle uh, and uh, his companions and the way the Lord looked at them. And that's really the only way we get by, right? Um, Jesus had all those, those, we call them the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, it's a, a reversal of fortunes, I guess you would say. And... Uh, I've got a memorial service that we're going to do in here that's coming up on Saturday. And one of the things that I tell them is to allow themselves to mourn because the Lord Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. But see, the only way that works is if you have a relationship with the Lord. If you really know God, he's not just an idea, right? He's not just uh, the name for, you know, a lifestyle or a set of rules, but he's a, a real personal being. Then he promises to pour out those blessings on us, even when we're having a difficult time. So that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Um, so <clears throat> let's see what he says here. He says, we put no stumbling block or no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Um, this could be seen as the theme really behind First and Second Corinthians. Um, Paul was always concerned that no stumbling block be put in anyone's way except for the cross of Christ. So that's from First Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. Um, that's the reason why Paul didn't take up 
any sort of a collection from the Corinthians while he was ministering there. He didn't receive money from them because he didn't want to be accused of just being there uh, to take a paycheck, so to speak. Um, He only received finances from churches after he was finished with that church and he'd moved on to another church. That way they were willingly giving to the furtherance of the gospel, not just paying Paul to preach to them, right? Jesus taught, because remember, he said, we put no obstacle or no stumbling block. So I read the New International Version to you. And then, of course, I teach using the ESV. So the, um, the New International says um, that we put no stumbling block in anyone's way. And ESV says we put no obstacle in anyone's way. So really, those are kind of two different ideas. Um, you know, something that causes someone to stumble um, could be put there um, with malicious intent, right? Like somebody sticking their leg out to trip somebody. Whereas an obstacle could just be something that is there, standing there, and it's in your way, right? Well, let's talk, let's look at the stumbling block idea. Jesus taught that reasons for stumbling are bound to arise but he pronounced a grave woe upon anyone who would become the cause for another to stumble. So we may think of a stumbling block as some sort of a, a, you know, external obstacle, but often the stumbling block is a person, right? Their attitude, their, um, you know, their opposition and so forth. People may trip because they're offended by the truth, which is in Christ. That is their fault, okay? Um, because they refuse to repent and believe. So if you know that there is a course that you must take to move. So right here in this room that I'm looking at, there's a block of chairs in the middle of the room. Well, I have to take a course down the aisle on this side or down the aisle on this side, right? If I choose to blindly stumble over all of the chairs because I want to take a straight line to the back door, whose fault is that? It's my fault, okay? And this is where we are with, uh, you know, many people and Christianity. Um, However, if someone is made to stumble because of a faulty ministry or a sinful minister, that would be the equivalent of taking one of these chairs and putting it out in the middle of the aisle. Um, Jacob, being in a wheelchair, has to encounter obstacles all the time, people that don't, you know, have wheelchair-friendly facilities. They don't have ramps. Um, they don't have doors that are wide enough. I'm, you know, fortunately, your wheelchair gets through our door. Our door is very old and narrow, but you're able to get through. But when we have others that have come that have those wider motorized wheelchairs, I have to have somebody come out there and pull the doors open. That's an obstacle for them, right? It's not an intentional, intentional obstacle, but it is an obstacle, right? So, what if someone was just creepy and rude and they just didn't want, you know, people that have a particular disability to come to their facility? So they would purposefully put an obstacle there. That's the same thing as we would encounter with someone who is not living their life as a reflection of Christ, right? Um, they are, they have other motives, right? They they want people's money. They want popularity, whatever it is that they want, okay? Um, That would be the equivalent of what Jesus is talking about here. 
when he warned that we not put a stumbling block in anyone's way, right? Uh, he said, stumbling blocks are gonna come, but woe to those through whom they come. And the apostle Paul here says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. So we try very hard not to be a cause of stumbling for anyone. In other words, don't offend if the offense is coming from you. Now, if the truth offends, there's nothing I can do about that, but I'm supposed to share the truth in love, right? So I can share the truth, but I can do it in such a harsh, angry, hostile way that it doesn't matter that I am right, I'm dead right, I'm hurting people, right? I'm using the truth like a club. And this is the, you know, the, the line that we must walk in our current culture, right? Because there are so many people who have um, drifted to or gravitated to or been drawn to a set of values that are very much opposed to Christian values. I was reading an article not too long before I came uh, today that was talking about surrogacy, the, the increase in, in surrogacy, okay? So we've had folks in our church that have been involved with that. Um, but what has happened as the result of um, science getting involved in pregnancy increasingly is that now you have couples that are in vitro fertilizing multiple embryos and then freezing them, okay? So if you come from the perspective that many Christians come from, and that is that a human life begins at conception, not at birth, what are all of these frozen embryos, right? That's They have been conceived. Um, and so basically what these uh, companies, it's a, it's a huge multi-billion dollar industry. What they want to do is they just want to use this the way they would, you know, sell any other product. It's just a business, right? They want to grow the embryo until they can basically chop it up and use it however they want to use it. I mean, in a case of callous um, irony, uh, there, was a, there was a man who was a part of an organization that was trying to expose the reality that Planned Parenthood was selling aborted fetus body parts for money. That should be shocking to everyone. And yet Planned, Parent was, Planned Parenthood was able to spin the tables on him and get him uh, uh, convicted. I don't know if he got convicted or not, but he was, um, he was uh, accused of multiple felonies because of the way he went about recording these sessions with these hideous, hideous people right? This is the world we're living in right now. So, you know, when we're so right in opposing um, the use and abuse of aborted, you know, babies, fetuses, and so forth, embryos, how do we discuss that, though, with people who have used in vitro fertilization or have, you know, been involved in alternate methods of having their children or women who have been through abortions, um, we want to be truthful, but not hateful, right? Um, this is why I'm, you know, I'm happy to share this organization uh, that uh, helps women uh, who have been through abortions. 
Um, we announced it a couple of weeks ago, I had Rachel announce it, that they have some sort of a retreat that they're going to be doing. And these are women who are trying to help other women who have been through this. Well, this is the sort of thing that we should be involved with. We're, yes, we're going to hold to the truth, um, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be hateful to people about it, all right? Um, as we've already observed, rejection of the messenger will often result in repudiation of the message. That's why we don't want to be personally offensive, right? Because then they just point the finger at you, you know, and show that, you know, you're hateful and therefore anything that you say must be wrong, okay? We who proclaim the gospel should give no one the excuse to reject the truth, However, we must realize that the truth of the gospel remains true no matter who speaks, okay? Even though rejection of the message will typically result in rejection of the messenger, the reverse, though often the case, is not necessarily right. Um, so there's a fellow that I really, really enjoyed listening to, and you may have heard of him. Um, his name is Ravi Zacharias. Have you heard of him? Okay. He was an apologist. That means he was... Uh, he gave evidence for the Christian faith. He spoke on college campuses all over the place. Um, he contracted some form of cancer and uh, he passed away. After he passed away, there was this incendiary accusation that came forth that he had been involved with various women other than his wife, right? And that there, some of these advances were unwelcome advances. Well, this is just, this is what the devil does, right? So, you know, I haven't looked into the evidence deeply, but it seems like, you know, even Christians who really admired uh, Ravi Zacharias uh, had to admit that these, uh, these uh, accusations were legitimate. Well, what do you do with all of those years and years? I mean, he had a ministry, Ravi Zacharias Ministries that went all over the world and presented powerful evidence for the truth of the gospel. And now we what? Sweep it all away? Consider it all illegitimate? Because like many men, he can't control his libido. I'm telling you, it is it craters so many ministries. Money and sexual immorality destroy more ministries than anything else. And power, all right? Seeking power, the abuse of power, and so forth. Um, I think instructive to this is a controversy that occurred in the early church. Um, not the primitive church, but um, the church around the time, this is the early fourth century, uh, when Christians were being severely persecuted and martyred in the Roman Empire, Okay. Um, by that time, even though the church was fairly early, um, there was a, um, a very, very strong belief by many in the church that um, what we call communion, the Eucharist, was, um, well, certainly more important than we treat it, okay? Uh, as the Catholic church developed, they saw it as a... Um, a means of salvation. They call it a, uh, later they call it a channel of grace, okay? So um, I'm going to uh, read you a little 
discussion or um, a definition, I suppose, of a group uh, of heretics that rose up in the the wake of the early fourth century persecutions in Rome, who said that those who who gave in to Roman persecution? Because so basically, here's what here's what happened: the Romans would come in and they would say, "You need to offer a pinch of incense to Caesar, to the the you know the genius of Caesar, right? To the image of Caesar as a god." Sometimes they would outright say, "You need to reject Christ altogether." Sometimes they would just say, "You need to offer incense to Caesar." Well, an Orthodox Christian, a believing Christian, would not do that. And this is why they were martyred and persecuted, right? Um, But there were Christian ministers even, bishops, okay, at this point, elders, pastors, people like me, um, who they said, okay, sure, and they gave in. Sometimes, this is the reason why we don't have a lot of early manuscripts. We have a lot of manuscripts, and many of them are early, but we don't have any very early complete manuscripts of the New Testament because a lot of these jokers were turning those manuscripts over to the Romans and letting them be burned, okay? Manuscripts of, uh, of our New Testament. So obviously, these were weak ministers who gave in when they should have stood for Christ. But you know what? Were they any different than the twelve? Jesus chose 12 apostles, right? How many of them stuck with him? None. Judas turned him over, okay, betrayed him. Peter um, denied him three times, ran off, cried about it, okay? Um, All of the others ran away. Is it any different? It's not. Did Jesus reject them? Did he fail to use them? He did not. So this group, uh, there was a group called the, they were called the Donatists. And after the persecutions were over, when Constantine made Christianity legal, then these ministers who had turned away, who had given in, who'd given over manuscripts of the the Bible to be burned, um, who had escaped martyrdom, came back to the faith. And the Donatists the Donatist said, uh-uh, no, 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 no. In fact, the Donatists went so far as to say, if anyone had been baptized by one of these ministers that had turned away from the faith, that their baptism was not um, authentic anymore. That anyone who had received communion, Eucharist from one of them, that that was not authentic anymore, okay? Um, the decision that the church made I think is biblical and instructive for us. So let me read this definition. Um, this comes from a book called The Complete Book of When and Where in the Bible and Throughout History. Donatus took their name from Donatus, who died in 355 AD, who was Bishop of Carthage from 313 to 355. Beginning in 312, Donatus led a protest against the against the practices of the Catholic Church. In particular, he and his followers charged that certain Catholic bishops had handed over Bibles to the civil authorities to be burned during Emperor Diocletian's persecution. And this was a really the, the most overwhelming and deadly persecution in the history of the church was under Diocletian, okay? 
an act they viewed as apostasy. Since these apostate bishops were ordaining Catholic pastors, so that's the other thing I didn't mention, they, these Donatists invalidated the baptisms of those that had been baptized by these, um, these weak ministers, right? But they also invalidated any kind of um, ordination that these uh, apostate pastors had involved in. Um, Since these apostate bishops were ordaining Catholic pastors, the Donatists claimed themselves, not the Catholics, to be the true church. They also argued that the validity of the sacraments depended upon the morality of the pastor administering them. Listen to that again. The validity of the sacrament. Now, this is their word for baptism, right? Communion, okay, and ordination. They said the validity of the sacrament depended upon the morality of the pastor administering it. Donatists became a majority in many areas of North Africa, but were vigorously opposed by Augustine. This is as in St. Augustine, uh, the Bishop of Hippo. Now, the Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church says this about these folks. And you'll, you'll, if you haven't already, you know, kind of, jumped ahead and applied this, you'll understand why I'm, I'm using this historical example. The Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church says, the church maintained that the unworthiness of the minister did not affect the validity of sacraments, since, as Augustine insisted, their true minister was Christ. Wow, wow, wow. That is so important. So what happens, uh, you know, somebody's... Uh, you know, they, they come up in church and, you know, they have a great pastor who really preaches the gospel. And I mentioned this last week, I think I mentioned this, um, or maybe two weeks ago when I talked about Bill Hybels, right? Um, Willow Creek Church and uh, there's a Chicago suburb. Huge church became a huge movement. In the early days of Willow Creek, one of the, uh, the most notorious uh, converts was Lee Strobel. Well, um, I don't know, five or so years ago, it was discovered, as I've said with all of these ministers, that Bill Hybels was involved uh, with a mistress or more than one. I, I mean, it's just amazing to me. Men cannot keep their dadgum pants on. It's ridiculous, man. It's ridiculous. Control your libido. You destroy your ministry, you destroy other people's lives, control your libido. I can tell you uh, that ministers that, uh, you know, led me in my life, uh, one youth minister, actually two youth ministers that uh, were very influential to me, both of them, both of them were involved with mistresses. One youth minister, the first youth minister I ever had, he... He had always said that it would take a voice print from God for him to leave our church, okay? And yet suddenly he was leaving our church and nobody ever, I didn't know why, nobody ever knew why. I went back and visited uh, some friends in Phoenix um, in 2011. And uh, there's a, a lady that I know who, uh, whose husband was on staff at this church. Now, this is a very large church, like a Prestonwood-sized church, okay? I got saved because I, 
they had a television ministry and they preached the gospel, right? But it turned out, she said, oh, you didn't know why he left? I said, no. Oh, well, he was involved with a church secretary. It's just like, it's like a joke. It's like a proverb. You know, uh, the youth minister getting involved with the church secretary or, you know, the pastor getting involved with a member of the choir. It's ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous, man. Um, So this is important because I see that that youth minister who I respected and admired was frail and he fell. But that doesn't mean that what he taught me was wrong. You see what I'm saying here? And as I said last week or the week before, whichever it was, um, Lee Strobel hasn't given up his faith because Bill Hybels was sexually immoral. It's just not the way it works, man. So once again, the quote here, the church maintained that the unworthiness of the minister did not affect the validity of sacraments, right? So Christ is the minister, right? If somebody is speaking the gospel, and that is the authentic gospel, then they're just a tool. See this microphone right here? It's a tool, all right? And if there's something wrong with the microphone, right? If, if I dropped it or something and it causes, you know, <coughs> scratchiness while I'm speaking, it doesn't invalidate what I'm saying. You follow what I'm saying here? So I don't know what your experience has been or what your experience will be, but you need to follow Jesus. This is why I said Sunday when I talked about shepherds, I said, you know, people like me are, we're under shepherds, but Jesus is your shepherd, okay? But I'm here to lead you, but only as I follow Christ. So follow me as I follow Christ. If in some way I fall short and don't follow Christ, then you don't throw up your hands and walk out the door, right? I, you know, I just, I see people doing this right and left today. Um, you know, they they don't like the fact that, the American church or, you know, whatever their term is, the Western church uh, has typically, at least in the past, opposed sexual immorality, which today the whole LGBT agenda is basically just an, an excuse for sexual immorality. Does that mean I hate these people that are caught up in it? No. Does that mean I think I'm better? Well, if I'm following Jesus, I'm certainly better off and I'm going a better direction Uh, But I'm not going to, I'm going to accept everyone and I'm going to point them to the truth, but I'm not going to accept those lifestyle choices and I'm not going to make a change as far as that is concerned, okay? Um, So people leave the church because they don't like the truth and then they reject the minister or people reject the minister or they see fault in the minister and so they turn away from the truth. But we cannot turn away from the truth, right? Jesus is the minister that we need to follow. Christ is the truth. He's the way, he's the life. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, you've heard me say this before, maybe other preachers say this before, but, you know, uh, the prophet Balaam wasn't listening to God, so God opened the mouth of his donkey to speak. If a jackass can speak the truth, then, yeah, anybody can speak the truth. God can use whom he chooses to use. He says, but as servants of Christ, we commend ourselves in every way. That should be you and I, right? Our lives ought to be a letter of recommendation for the reality of God, the truth about Christ and the validity of his gospel. So 
I'm not making excuses for apostate preachers, right? Um, and there are those that have done far worse things, you know, have been abusive and have been just outright frauds. But if they're preaching the truth, you focus on the truth and you follow Jesus. You don't follow that fool. You follow Jesus, right? And, uh, you know, the, the youth minister that I spoke of um, earlier uh, passed away some years ago. I don't hold any ill will against him. I have fond memories. He was, you know, he was a good leader for us. And he, he you know, he taught the truth. In fact, I, I, I kind of hold to him as an example because he was a youth minister in a huge, huge church. And they had a Wednesday Bible study um, for teenagers. And a lot of times it was about this well attended. In fact, there were a few times when it was just me and him. You know, but he always taught the truth, man. So, yeah, he was weak. And no, he shouldn't have done that. And that's deeply disappointing. But you know what? I'm not turning away from what he taught me. Because, frankly, I'm smart enough to realize that the messenger, um, if he is speaking the truth, doesn't have any impact on the truth whatsoever. But what we need to strive to be is a group of people who align our lives with the message, right? So there's that famous quote purportedly from uh, St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Oh, and we all like that. But listen, there's plenty of good people in the world that don't represent Jesus, okay? Um, they, They just have chosen to follow a moral path for their lives and they're admirable for that purpose. But you always have to use words if you're going to preach the gospel. Yet, that doesn't cause me to dismiss the the St. Francis of Assisi quote. Your life needs to align with that gospel. Your life needs to align with those words. I need to be constantly seeking to line up with this truth that I'm preaching and hold myself accountable to it. So believe it or not, oftentimes after I've preached on Sunday, I'm reviewing what I've said to you in my mind. And I'm asking myself, Daryl, are you doing that? Are you doing that? I have to lead you by example. It's important. And so I'm encouraging you to do the same thing to others around you. All right, I'm not going to have time uh, to go into any detail or any depth here, but I'm going to read verses uh, 4 through 10 and uh, just do an overview here. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. That's what we just looked at. And then he, he, he gives all of these various ways where they recommend themselves. By great endurance... In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, 
Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So the title that I gave this evening's uh, Bible study, we're only just now getting to, um, your struggle or your suffering can make you more like Christ. Jesus was the suffering servant. So when we get that attitude, oh, woe is me. Why always me? We're not understanding that when we go through challenges and difficulties, we always have an opportunity to do it with the presence of the Holy Spirit and to allow him to make us more like Christ who suffered in this world. He didn't, where was Jesus born? Oh, baby, Jesus was born in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough, okay? So we have a, you know, a rough manger that we've made and we've used in church before. And, uh, you know, there have been times when we've had an actual live baby I'm not going to put that baby in that wooden crate. I'm <laughs> just not going to do it, right? The parents are not going to be happy with me if I'm laying that baby, you know, on an actual bed of straw in that rough wooden crate, right? They're like, no, 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 I'll hold the baby. We're not going to do that. That's where they put Jesus, man. We just need to figure it out. He, he didn't come here on a bed of ease. And how did he leave earth? Oh, that's right. He was nailed to a cross of wood. So we, we need to all stop crying about our difficulties and realize that the Lord is seeking to make us more like himself as we go through those things, okay? We commend ourselves through trouble. We endure affliction, hardship, calamity, beatings. Thankfully, are any of you being beaten for your faith? I don't think so. Imprisonments, have you gone to jail for your faith? Riots, labor, sleeplessness, hunger. Suffering can make somebody like Christ if it is endured for Christ's sake and with Christ-like character, all right? Um, listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wow. Do you believe in the afterlife or not? Do you believe in heaven or not? Do you believe that this is all there is? If this is all there is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The Apostle Paul said, if this is all there is, of all men, we're most to be pitied. He said, we're pathetic. Because they were going through all of these things that he's mentioned here. He said, why are we going through all these things? There is, the rise of early Christianity is inexplicable apart from a real presence of Jesus that was working in and through these people because they were going through unimaginable difficulties, okay? Uh, yeah, we think we've been through it because, you know, we went through the pandemic and all that. Guys, the pandemic didn't even take, percentage-wise, as many lives as the 1918 flu, right? Now, I'm not saying it wasn't horrible. The man that used to inspect this church, the fire inspector, who, who, he was 48 years old, he died. 
right? I'm not saying it wasn't bad. I'm saying that we're weak. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that our faith in Christ is weak because we can't handle any pressure at all. We're constantly crying about this and that and the other thing rather than realizing that God is with us. Amen? He's with you. He's with you in the midst of the struggle. And in fact, if you'll cling to him, that struggle is there to make you, to shape you, to mold you more like Jesus, okay? So the question is, have you had anything like this happen to you? I'm not talking about, you know, being sick or, you know, um, going through financial problems and all these things that we're all going through. But have you been seriously persecuted, insulted as the result of your Christian faith, okay? How, if so, if you were insulted in any way or rejected in any way, um, how did you get through it? How did you respond? I've had plenty of people leave this church and not want to have anything more to do with me because they simply don't want to follow Christian sexual morals anymore. They don't want to hear it. I'm not changing what I'm preaching but I don't reject them or hate them either. I leave the door open, right? So if they want to change their mind and change their heart, they're welcome back with a big embrace, okay? And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go out and I'll ask, hey man, what's going on? What's whatever? But when it's just like, yeah, well, we don't really know about that anymore. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm sorry. What can we do to keep you here, right? No, I, the, the truth is the truth. All right, that's all there is to it. What we want to make sure that we don't do is that we don't um, offend people or we don't actually uh, do something that is immoral or illegal ourselves and then get upset because we've been, you know, arrested for it or persecuted for it or whatever. Um Peter affirms that Christians will endure difficulty, but that should not be the result of wrongdoing on our part. This is the same passage. This is 1 Peter chapter 4. I read 12 through 14. Now I'm going to read 15 and 16. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Amen? So, you know, the most likely place that that's going to happen these days is online. Um, you know, because there's just so many people, you know, reading posts and so forth. And, you know, you get called names and all these sorts of things. I just try to respond with courtesy and kindness. You know, somebody reads something that I wrote and they're, they're you know, opposed to it. I often say, thank you for reading. Hey, man, they read it, Right. They were invested enough to actually read that. I, I can't say the same for everybody in this church. I post all kinds of stuff. I don't know if anybody reads it, right? So, you know, here's some random person that's like, I totally disagree with you and you're wrong and da, da, da. I always start off by just saying, thank you for reading it. <laughs> I'm grateful that you cared enough, you know? Um, and yeah, in the past, I would come up with arguments, you know, to try to present an apologetic and so forth. These days, I don't even do that. I put it out there. There it is. You know, if they just want to go banter back and forth, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I'll just say, well, thank you for reading. I appreciate that. You know, and that's that. Let them say what they're going to say. 
If you're going through hard times because of your own foolishness, God still loves you and he can save you out of it. You must repent, return to living right, trust Christ, and wait upon his deliverance for your difficulty. Amen? We recommend ourselves to other people with a lifestyle of virtue. Friends, we're just too carnal, right? We just we act just like the rest of the world. You know, we just we degenerate into the same sorts of behaviors, cursing, anger, all of these sorts of things. What does he say? Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, genuine love, truthful speech, God's power working through us. That's how we recommend ourselves to other people. We're different than other people. We deal with difficulty in a different way, right? Somebody strikes you, you turn the other cheek also. Somebody calls you a name, you don't call them a name back, right? So are you growing in your Christian faith? That's really the question. Are you closer to God? Are you more like Jesus? Are you more mature in your thinking? That's the point of discipleship. It is an active process of following Jesus like an apprentice, becoming more like him, right? So the Holy Spirit's presence in you will give you a different, does give you a different nature and a different character, but you have to learn to listen to him to pay attention to him, to rely on him and not to just react in the flesh and in the, you know, that's all of these things that are causing problems today in the lives, as I mentioned, of Christian ministers, right? Uh, Anger and power struggles, right? You find this in churches all the time, you know, um, sexual immorality, uh, financial um, immorality, if you will, Financial corruption, usually they call it. This is all people just walking in the flesh. They're not paying any attention to Jesus at all. We need to follow Jesus. We need to be disciples of Jesus. We need to be getting better and better, not simply devolving into or defaulting to, perhaps I should say, the flesh. Um, And that requires effort. You've got to expend effort. I've got a whole sermon I need to preach on this, but... We're just consumers. We're inveterate consumers. We just rely on it all to be given to us and fed to us, right? We, we, you know, we're going we're gonna to buy whatever's pushed our way rather than having to go out and actually, you know, work for and search for and find the best place to, you know, to get whatever it is. Um, I like this statement by Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard was very strong Uh, concerning discipleship, uh, making an effort to follow Jesus, okay? You've heard me uh, quote Dallas Willard on many occasions where he has said, and he'll say it at the end of this quote that I'm gonna, this extended quote that I'm gonna read and in the conclusion of today's Bible study, he said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. I'm not earning God's favor, by expending effort to try to be more like Jesus, right? Now listen to what he says here. Christ-likeness of the inner being is not a merely human attainment, of course. It is finally a gift of grace. Nevertheless, well-informed human effort is indispensable 
Spiritual formation in Christ, that's another way of saying discipleship, is not a passive process. You don't just lay back and let it happen. Grace does not make us passive. Divine grace is God acting in our life to accomplish what we cannot do on our own. It informs our being and actions and makes them effective in the wisdom and power of God. Hence, grace is not opposed to effort, our actions, but earning our attitude. Amen? So, let's make an effort to be more like Jesus and commend ourselves to all those with whom we share the gospel. All right. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us.